0: The reading is from Luke 15, verse 1 to 2, and then verses 11 through to 32. That's on page 990 in the Green Bibles. Luke 15, verse 1 to 2, then verses 11 through to 32. The parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent into his fields to feed pigs he longed to f- to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything when he came to his senses he said how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here i am starving to death i will set out and go back to my father and say to him and is found. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Alice. Alice disappearing there to help in the crash this morning. What a gift she has for speaking. What a great way that she told that story. And thank you, Cully, for the amazing way that you led us in, in our prayers this morning as well. We are at at our third take on this familiar parable, the parable of the, the lost sons this morning. So, if you were here last week or the week before, you may be feeling a sense of déjà vu, thinking, oh, I've heard this before somewhere. Um, but we're here looking at um, a familiar story, like a precious jewel, and we're looking at it from a, very, a, a number of different angles, the facets, if you like, of that jewel, to try and see it from different angles and to tease out the truths that there are within it. And this morning, we're looking at at the story from this particular angle, from the gift of repentance. That's the title of today's talk, the gift of repentance. And as we do, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this story that Jesus told us, told us, a bunch of Pharisees and disciples. Lord, we pray that your truth might shine um, with beauty this morning. Lord, help us to, um, to have open hearts to your truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the gift of repentance this morning. Gift and repentance. Maybe you don't think that um, the words gift and repentance belong together. They don't sit together so well. We don't normally talk about a gift of repentance, perhaps. It's a bit like saying, Microsoft works, or um, government initiative, or uh, if you're a Peter Kay fan, cheesecake. Maybe we don't naturally think of repentance as a gift, but I hope today's story will show us that repentance is actually a gift, a gateway into a relationship with the Father. The word repent is quite a charged word in today's society, isn't it? If I was to ask you, just turn to the person next to you in the pew and ask them to repent, you might not feel very easy with that. Why is that? Maybe it's because deep down inside us we think that repentance is something that bad people do. It's not something that good people in church do very frequently. Repentance is something for bad people. And that's certainly, I think, the undercurrent in this passage, as we heard in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. It was the tax collectors and sinners pointing the fingers at, uh, sorry, the uh, Pharisees pointing the fingers at the tax collectors and sinners. It's something that bad people need to do, not people perhaps like us. And Luke, in telling uh, the story and um, arranging these three stories in this way, is challenging that perception. You see, the Pharisees and these teachers of the law had a very set idea of who they were, who they were and who the other people were. They had two types of people in their mind. They were the righteous people and the sinners, the good people and the bad people, we, of course, being the good people. And I believe that, and I've said this before, I believe Jesus despised that particular way of distinguishing between people. He despised the word sinner. If we look at um, that first story, the parable of the lost sheep in chapter 15, you'll see there in, uh, at, in, at the end of that story, in verse 7, Jesus saying, I tell you the truth, in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner, who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent? Who do not need to. Re- Can you hear the irony in what he's saying there? Righteous people do not need to repent. Well, actually, he's going to show in telling this, the parable of the, the two sons here that the righteous people, the good people, need to repent just as much as the so called sinners. So what I want to do today is to look at the two sons in the story. The younger son representing, if you like, the sinners, and the older son representing, if you like, the righteous people. Jesus is taking their distinctions, the Pharisees' distinctions between good people and bad people, and playing them out, teasing them out in this story. So for the younger son and the older son, what might repentance look like? And how can we think of this as a gift? Well, the younger son in the story represents those who have actively sought out fulfillment in life without any reference to God. They've sought out their own independence, if you like. The younger son has chased after wealth and and he's chased after a lifestyle without God. He's gone off to a distant land, to make him make something of himself, but in the end, he's actually left empty. In this case, in the story, he's literally starving. But maybe the hunger that he feels most deeply is a spiritual or a relational emptiness. Repentance for him, in the story, and we can see this in verse 17, is coming to his senses. In verse 17, it says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? That phrase, when he came to his senses, literally means when he came to himself. And for the younger son, who had hit rock bottom, he had nothing to hope for apart from one thing, and that was the fact that he still remained a son of the father. His sole hope lay in his identity, he may have had mixed motives in his return home to his father, but his, ho- his only hope was in the fact that he remained a son to that father. Henry Nouwen, in his famous book on the return of the prodigal son, which is a meditation on Rembrandt's picture of this returning, the, this, the return of the prodigal son, he said this about the younger son. He said, the younger son's return... Takes place at the very moment that he reclaims his sonship. The younger son's return takes place at the very moment that he reclaims his sonship. So the younger son had a plan. He was going to, based on the fact that he was a son, he was going to go back to his father and he was going to ask not to be restored to the family, because that was a bit too much to hope for, but he was going to negotiate. Maybe I could go in as a hired servant. Maybe because I'm a son, my father might just give me a break and let me be a hired servant. I'll serve him, and in return, I'll be able to live, be able to feed myself. He sets his his sights fairly low, and also, at the same time, he safeguards his independence. He's keeping still the father at arm's length by being a servant rather than a son. But, as we know in the story, the father comes out to embrace him, and makes him an offer of full restoration. He says he puts a a cloak around him, a ring on his finger, which is a sign of sonship. The father's offer is way beyond what he could have ever hoped for. So for the younger son, repentance is indeed a gift. His turning around to go back to the father is indeed a gift. It's led him to restored relationship. what then, of the older son? You see, that the, the main point of the story is actually the unfamiliar part, the part that deals with the older son. Because this is geared at the people who are asking the question, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And the story is deliberately left open-ended. We don't know how they responded to the way that he told, told the story. For the older son, Jesus is saying, they still need to repent. He's challenging this view that the righteous don't need to repent. When we come to look at the older son in the second part, the second act, if you like, of this story, it's interesting to note the language that the son uses. If you look at verses 28 to 30, I wonder if you've ever noticed that that son never uses the word son and he never uses the word father. When he addresses his father, he just says, look, which is actually quite a rude way to address the head of the household. He never refers to himself as a son. Instead, he says in verse 29, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. The elder son has come to recognize his relationship with the father, not as as one of a son, but as one of a slave. Somehow, along the way, his relationship of sonship has been replaced with a relationship based on service and obedience. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and to the holy, the, the righteous people, the godly people, if you like, that they're seeking favor with God through, uh, through something that they might earn, through their service and their obedience. And this focus on service has led them away from their relationship with God. It has distanced them, or put a, or insulated them, if you like, from God. When they come to look at other people, the tax collectors, for example, their emotion rises up within them. And that emotion is one of bitterness and one of resentment. When God is shown to be good and loving and gracious to somebody else, they become bitter and resentful about that grace but even so the father's offer to the second son to the older son is the same it's one of restored sonship in verse 31 the father would not address the older son as a slave but he says to him my son you are always with me the invitation for the older son it's the same as the one to the younger son it's to come in it's to come back to the father it's a movement away from independence towards relationship and in order to do that the older son needs to repent the word literally means to change one's mind to change their mindset to turn around So repentance, then, for the older son means exactly the same thing as repentance for the younger son. It's a movement away from their independence towards relationship with the father. So where does that leave us, then? Well, the the power of any of these parables is to find ourselves somewhere within the story. And we all go through different seasons in our lives, different events, and at different times maybe we relate more with one character or another. Maybe today we relate more to the younger son who's actively turned away from God. Maybe fulfillment in our lives has been sought out independently of God. We're seeking after wealth or um, lifestyle choices. Maybe we find ourselves in a distant land and we find ourselves hungry, hungry spiritually, hungry for relationship. In that case, maybe we can follow in the footsteps of the younger son and remember that we are sons, we are daughters of the living God. Maybe we can hear God's voice calling to us, calling us home. We can hear the footsteps racing to meet us this morning. But maybe for more of us, being churchgoers, we can relate more to the older son who've lived our lives close to God. But somehow we suspect that there's more to our relationship with God than what we currently experience. Or maybe the relationship with God that we once enjoyed has surprisingly turned a bit cold. We find ourselves insulated, perhaps, from God slightly. Maybe some of the good things that we do, our morality, has ended up having started as something that um, arose out of a thankful and grateful heart, has now become something that insulates us from God, that separates us, that actually builds up a sense of independence from God rather than relationship to Him. For all of us, repentance is a gateway. It's an opportunity, a gift, to move from independence to relationship. And that verse that I read at the beginning of the service from Revelation 3, for us, it's an invitation. Revelation, these verses in Revelation were written to the church. We often forget that. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them, and they with me. And how much those in the church need to hear those words just as much as those outside. There are plenty of doors in our lives that remain locked. Maybe we can hear God knocking on those doors today. But God's predicament is that relationship isn't something that you can force on someone, is it? You can't force people to be in relationship to you. If you take marriage as an example, when um, someone asks another to uh, if they'll marry them, there's a proposal. When I asked Lisa to marry me, I remember I went to great lengths to create a very romantic scene. I bent down on one knee and asked her in extraordinarily beautiful language if she could marry me. She's not here to protect herself today. <laughs> uh, her response was, uh, surprising. She, she said, ask me again, um, which I was slightly taken aback, and I had to recreate the proposal once more. <laughs> and thankfully, at the second time of asking, she did actually say yes. What I needed from Lisa was a response to my proposal for marriage. You see, relationship must be a two-way thing. Maybe when we come to church, when we come to, to God, we like hearing God's invitation We like hearing his welcome, we like hearing that he loves us, but that proposal, that invitation needs a response from us. And maybe putting marriage to one side at the moment, in any relationship there are over time opportunities for that relationship to go deeper or for you to move further apart from one another. Some of these opportunities are happy events, some of them a, a sad or challenging event. And those events for us present opportunities for those relationships to grow or to grow further apart. And so with God, the events in our lives maybe they provoke emotions within us, like they provoked emotions in the Pharisees. If we listen to those emotions, maybe we can pay attention to what's really going on in our hearts. What is it that's provoking those emotions, that provoke the emotion in the elder brother, that provoke the emotion in the Pharisees? If we bring those emotions to God, maybe we can hear his voice calling us, my son or my daughter, inviting us in to the celebration that he's putting on. Two um, spe- more specific points, maybe for us today. When I was um, uh, delivering the same talk this morning at the 8 o'clock service, one of the ladies who, who came along to the service said, after, said to me afterwards, she told me a story about her and her sister, how she had been left looking after their aging mother, and her sister had had no involvement at all in caring for their mother, and that this had, had started to create a bitter root within her heart that she held something against her sister. and the, first, the last time that she heard this story, the story of the parable son, she felt that actually the movement, the repentance that she needed to go through, if you like, was actually to forgive her sister. And she went and was prayed for at the end of the service and she felt an amazing presence of God in her life. She described it like a second conversion. And that same day when she went home, she got a phone call from her sister saying, please can I look after our mother? Um, so maybe repentance for us today is to let go of bitterness, to forgive somebody. Maybe, as Cooley said in our prayers today, Repentance for us is actually to experiment with giving financially, or giving of our time, where we feel strapped for cash, where we feel that uncertainty in the future. Maybe repentance for us, the gateway into relationship with God, is to recognize our dependence for God uh, for everything. So there are two possible applications there for us today, to forgive someone or to start giving of ourselves. So for the younger son and for the elder son, repentance is a gateway, a gift. It's a gateway from independence towards relationship. At the Last Supper, when Jesus was just about to say goodbye to his disciples, his friends, in John 15, he said these words to him, to them. I do not call you servants, but I call you friends. And the invitation for us today is to move away from a servant relationship to one of being a friend, a son, or a daughter. Amen. I'm going to invite the band to come up and to lead us in a final song.